Sarah, isn't this just the most perfect Newcastle morning? It is, yep, absolutely. And here we are at the Beacon Tower on the hill. I drove up, you walked up. (laughs) Who's the clever one here? (laughs) Certainly not me, I can tell you. (laughs) The Beacon Tower. Now, it looks to me, it reminds me very much of an old shop tower. But it's not, of course. It's not, no. It's one of the um, navigational towers that was built during the mid-19th century in order to um, allow safe navigation into our quite, what was then quite treacherous harbour um, for steamships and all the other vessels that were frequenting the port because at the time, uh, transport by sea, transportation by sea, was pretty much the only way you could get goods in and out of here. So the Beacon Tower, um, which was initially built in 1865 um, and there was a pair, was quite important in terms of allowing captains to enter the port um, unaccompanied um, and safely navigate the the heads. Okay, so these days we have the lights and the triangles and all of those other navigational aids around the port. Um, Our lighthouses have all been automated (laughs) around (laughs) Australia. Um, And we have pilots to come and help you ensure that you come in safely. Not in your sat-nav and your depth finders and, you know, all of the technology. These days, this beautiful old tower is pretty low-tech, isn't it? It is. Um, you know, it really does look quite medieval, doesn't it? It's off, it, off a big chess set. <laughs> but at the time, you know, this was high tech. I mean, we were really starting to invest in the port. The New South Wales government recognised that there was a need after the many shipwrecks that had occurred. Um, and, of course, trying to protect um, goods that were entering the harbour and leaving the harbour um, to facilitate, obviously, the expansion of our, our coal ex- export trade, which was really starting to gain momentum. Um, so this one was built um, 1865 and there were two. And the other one was down on Tyrrell Street, about 70 metres away from us here. Down the hill? Uh, this way. Uh, towards, down, the, down towards, the towards the beach. Towards the beach. Right, yeah. So what would happen is a ship would come into to port, um, round the head, not yep. his head, and they would, um, by triangulation, line up the two towers. And once they got um, into a, a perpendicular line, they knew that they were clear of the reef. However, um, <laughs> as a lot of these things go, um, it was designed in Sydney. Um, it, it, it perhaps wasn't um, um, designed by local um, maritime engineers. And there was a lot of um, problems. There were problems with it in terms of how effective it was. Um, and so uh, around the turn of the century, around 1900, um, the government put in new towers down on Church Street and they remain to this day but they've been sort of moved around and obviously they're, they're modern structures now. So this kind of worked? It, it, it kind of worked but um, obviously, yeah, there were still problems with it. Um, in aligning the two towers, the navigators could steer through the heads but navigators argued that they were too close together so so the error of margin was considerable um, by about 200 feet so that meant that you know in a in a stormy sea or a treacherous sea if you have a margin of 200 feet a margin of error um you can quite easily um you can be across that in no time can't you
This is Bill 1865. The Kawara disaster was just the year after, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. Oh. Um, the thing with it was that it was it was only seven metres tall originally um, and um, it was ineffective. There was a parsonage built down on Tyrrell, St- Tyrrell Street and that effectively obscured the view of this top tower okay. from, the, from the heads. So what happened was um, Barnett, who was the colonial architect at the time, um, he then um, rebuilt it um, on the same base and it was extended to 20 metres. Barnett was quite White some bloke. Yeah, he did the Macquarie Lighthouse um, down at um, Sydney Harbour as well. So he was, you know, he was the government architect. So he would have had a whole team of architects, draftsmen, technicians working for him. But essentially, you know, you can see his his brand, I suppose. You know, that this looks like a castle, you know. Yes, exactly. The, yeah. It does. It looks like your little chess piece, yeah. doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, uh, it's quite whimsical. And it, it's really fitting for Newcastle, isn't it? You know, he's yeah. obviously had a bit of fun there, which I, I quite like. The, the tower itself these days is, well, how lucky are we to still have it here? Because you can see that the condition of it has deteriorated and, and you mentioned to me that it actually used to have a roof on it. Yeah, it had a roof um, and of course there was a burner in the bottom. So um, it was lit at night so that um, when you were entering the heads at night time you could actually see these little slot windows would illuminate um, from limelight within. Oh, it must have been quite a, <laughs> kind of beautiful yeah, though. Yeah, um, yeah and, uh, and they were able to line the two up. So this one um, has survived, which is great for us and great for our city because it's a real icon um, and a lot of people, a, a lot of Novocastrians are quite proud of it. Um, but the other one, the, the pear, has been demolished, um, but the base of it still remains. So the archaeological resource is still within the front garden of a house just down behind <laughs> me on Oh, my garden never has the good stuff in it. No, I know. And, and it was in the, the, um, the garden of the harbour master, incidentally, as well. Um, but it was the one that got demolished. This one survived. Why this one survived? <laughs> Chance? Luck? Fortune? I don't know. But it's now owned by... City Council, City of Newcastle, and we do uh, maintain it, um, and it is maintained um, not not as a ruin, but I suppose as a relic. Mm. Um, so we're not going to be doing any interventions within the foreseeable future. But what we do do is we do um, as much as necessary in order to make sure that you know it, its life is prolonged for as long as possible. Okay, so the aim is not to try and keep it forever. One day it will have to come down. No, no, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that um, we're stabilising it for as long as we as we possibly can, um, without doing any sort of miracle makeover, without doing you know the sorts of Disneyland interventions that you might get in other parts of Australia. Has it been braced inside, or is it still self, fully no, self-supporting? It's really structurally sound. We had an engineering um, survey last year um, the guys got up in a cherry picker and basically did a whole make safe because that that's how you get in isn't yeah, it there's no entrance no, there's no entrance so don't think about it kids no 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 how, how did they do it at the, where was how did they get in there to light the fires at the time uh there was a door right. um the door has been sealed now i think the door was uh, on the south side okay. so away from us on the flat area um and Obviously, the harbour master was responsible for making sure that it was lit and it was operating 
properly and he only lived 70 metres away. So yeah. you can see how that, that his, his, um, his residence was within walking distance of, of his... It'd have to be, wouldn't it? Yeah, of his if this is your job. Yeah, that's right. Um, the other things to note about it are, I suppose, just its, um, its architectural style in that it, it, it's quite a folly. I mean, why would you bother, I suppose, designing, you know, what is a maritime navigation aid? Well, somebody at Barnett has obviously thought, if you're going to build a big thing, at least, you know, put the interesting top (laughs) on it. (laughs) That's right. So at the top, you've got the crenellated um, crenellations on the parapet. So um, it sort of looks like um, a medieval castle. Um, of sorts. Now the other navigational devices which existed at the same time were the obelisk yep. and that's still extant on Obelisk Hill and Flagstaff Hill which is now Fort Scratchley. There was another um, Flagstaff as well and of course um, the lighthouse at Nobby's Head came in 1854. So there was a whole series of navigational instruments and navigational infrastructure that was designed and put in by the colonial government in order to expand the port and make sure that our coal export trade um, was really able to um, provide economic benefits to the nation. Mm. As in, this is an area of rich resources. They they have known that already for 50 years by the time this tower was built. But we also also had hundreds of shipwrecks. We had, yeah, hundreds of shipwrecks. But, I mean, that's not uncommon. I mean, all up and down the Australian coast, there are shipwrecks. Um, but, of course, you are going to get them in areas where you have um, increased um, use of the port or increased use of those areas. And, of course, we had quite a dangerous bar um, and it was quite treacherous and hence the building of the breakwater in the early 1820s by convicts. So stop trying to take a shortcut through here. (laughs) So even, you know, in the 1820s, the government recognised that, you know, Newcastle's environment was um, of financial and economic benefit and there were resources here that were very useful um, to the young colony. So it it was also, of course, the shipping didn't just come to Newcastle, it went right up the Hunter River. It did, that's right. And in fact... um before the 1850s, really, Maitland and Morpeth were the, the centres of export and, and trade, um, particularly because of the agricultural um, uses of those areas. Um, and Newcastle was really just, you know, the way to get in to, to that agricultural land. <laughs> <laughs> 